Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And I'm Jim. And we are track walking. Tonight, we have a man whose real name is not known. He drives hatchbacks in his spare time. He actually sold a race car to drive a Honda Fit. And he currently has a lot of second place trophies right behind him on the wall. Jim Smith, Aline, Jim. Hi, Jim. How's it going? Do you want my real name or are you sticking with what's the your, obscurity? What's your real name? <laughs> According to the internet, it's Smith Aline, and my wife even got into it as well on Facebook. So her last name is Smith Aline on Facebook. So that's what I'm going with. But officially, it's James Smith. So, but I feel like if we Googled smithaline we could actually find you because otherwise if we googled your actual name yeah. you just you disappear into a sea of people in witness protection james james smith might as well be lying dead next to john doe because <laughs> they're the same anonymous person i've legit been uh asked by cops if it's my real name before thinking <laughs> i was trying to hide my identity so i'm just uh, i'm just a white dude living my <laughs> life i don't know what to tell you so, James, wanted to have you on for a little bit. Um, you and I, I'm trying to remember when we met. It was definitely when you were driving a Black S2000. Yeah, for sure. It surprised me as I got to know you and how competitive you were that you sold the S2000 to buy a second-gen Honda Fit. Well, that's not exactly how the story goes, but we'll go with it. It's No, I want the real story. Scott's story sucks. Yeah, because <laughs> that's how I know it. All right, so let's take us back. Um, why were you driving an S2000? What did you drive before the S2000? Why do you do any of this? Yeah, so uh, I'm kind of uh, one of those people that got into cars uh, via Subarus. So um, I've had around, I think I did the math once, 30 plus turbo Subarus, including Sabarus. Wait, um, wait, what? 30? Like we're not talking turbos, we are talking different vehicles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like during uh, college, I realized, well, my first car was a Ford Probe, but um, I that was like one that was kind of just given to me, basically. I think I paid 2000 bucks for it. But the first car I bought myself as a senior in high school was a 2002 WRX. And this was like 06, going to date myself. Um, and I thought it was the coolest car ever. I did the math and I'm like, okay, what's good in the winter? What makes decent horsepower? Uh, what can, you know, what, what can I do? So the WRX made the most sense. But then that became like an issue for me because I was constantly like wanting more power. And as you know, Subarus have an issue once you get to a certain power level. But I mean, really, if you're looking for a vehicle and you're like, you know what? I want to do more engine replacements. <laughs> Subaru. At, at the time, we didn't know that. So it was just like, 
like in O2 Subarus, you weren't making enough power really. You do like a downpipe and a tune, and like you were good. Yeah, what um, what stage was that? A downpipe and a tune? Because I know stage. you know. I had the OG Cobb tuner. It looked like a Game Boy, like an original Game Boy of mm-hmm. Stage 2. So stage it two. probably made all of 220 horsepower. Um, so that was my first one. And then I quickly wanted to upgrade to the next generation, which is like an 06 blah by that had the 2.5 liter that yeah. and then immediately did a, an sti turbo on that and um yeah it's not good that's one as <laughs> so one out of out of 30 subarus how many have you uh blown up yeah so like jumping ahead in the story uh like <laughs> when the first one i actually blew up myself was a um a, that was probably i don't remember what number it was but it was a 2000 another 2002 uh, uh sedona red pearl wrx as a um it was a pretty rare car. It had red and black leather, but was, I went to my very first autocross with a buddy at Tire Rack. and the idea was I'm gonna, you know, learn how to do, go some track driving. It was on some probably 600 Treadwear Michelins and stock suspension, Perfect. and uh, I took my wife out, wife out on the sixth run, and immediately afterwards, like I'm hearing like rattling. I'm like, oh, that's not good. And not knowing any better, I tried to drive it home, like from Tyrek on the bypass, which I think you two have been on the bypass before. And I got maybe five miles away, and the car just wouldn't move at all. So that was the first one I actually blew up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I. So I, I, I guess here's the question. Why did you... So it sounded like you bought and sold Subarus before you blew them up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so some of that goes back to like um, in high school, uh, I started working at Discount Tire, and uh, I, my goal was to like get through college without any debt. Okay. So what I quickly realized with my car addiction, like I wanted to mod Subarus, but also like not be in crippling debt, which those two things don't always go hand in hand. Um, so uh, what I learned how to do is like buy and sell cars. So I was the guy that like I can't turn down a thousand dollar car. So I was quickly like flipping cars throughout mm. college, learning how to work on them. And then I would know enough about Subarus to know like uh, if I could fix it cheaply, I could buy it, replace the turbo maybe. I think one of my best deals was like an 05 at WRX STI that had like 48,000 miles for nine grand. So then I just did some timing on it, drove it a while and sold it for like 15 grand. Um, so like I was constantly doing that just to like, you know, get through school and not have a whole lot of debt. Uh, and you know, chase the addiction of going fast. So, um, just yeah, it's pretty entrepreneurial you're, of you. I was gonna say you're the closest we've come to interviewing like a reasonably intelligent Subaru owner. <laughs> I wouldn't put that on me. Like, like <laughs> I don't own one now. So, <laughs> well, we we all hopefully we all learn and grow as we get older in life. Yeah, and so. Kind of like what led me to the S2000 was the fact that I, you know, I tracked my, did autocross one time in a WRX and it blew up. So it's like, well, I'm not doing that again. (laughs) And was, and so autocross was like your introduction and a buddy just invited you? Yeah, a buddy invited me. Um, We had done like some, uh, there was a drag strip close by to my house, uh, Osceola Dragway. Um, And that's since closed down, but we'd go do that and all I really knew is that there was some autocrosses randomly at Tire X. So I did that one time yeah. and I was like, yeah, not again. So, um, and I didn't really know about track stuff. Like to me, that was unobtainable. Like I think Tire X or sorry, discount tire took me to sent me to the Rolex series at mid Ohio once. And like, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, how do I, 
do this. Like, I'll never get to do this. These are all professionals. And come to find out years later, like, oh, you can do stuff. And yeah. Same. I mean, that's that's largely why I didn't even look into driving on track for a long time was all the drivers I saw were on TV with big partnership deals, at least, you know, from what I know and things like that. Like, you know, I had no idea, like besides the local, like really slow go-kart tracks, like that's not something I can do. So my only exposure was like that. And then the folks that would ride, ride through for like one lap. So sometimes we would get overflow of one lap cars at discount. And I'd see like GTRs and really cool cars that were going to go do track stuff. And as that's just as unobtainable at the time for me. So jokes on you, not many of those GTRs made it back. Um, <laughs> speaking it's of like unreliable uh, track cars. Um, so when, when did you learn about the one lap? How did that come through to you? Oh, uh, like I said, uh, I was just working at Discount Tire one Saturday, and like you'll see these stickered up cars. I think there was an Impreza 2.5 RS one year. I don't remember what this probably 2009, 2010 come through. And and I remember like that car distinctly. I think it was naturally aspirated. And it's like, this thing is so cool. And um, then I learned about it, and then I made it a um, made it a point to kind of go check out at tire rack every once in a while. So like every year you guys come through, I always try to take my kids out there, just go cheer everyone on. Cause it's such a cool event for sure. It's definitely a bucket list. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, I think you should sometime. I think you'd enjoy it. Yeah. The, um, I'm trying to think on the one lap, it had to have been two years ago or three years ago. And last year, actually, all the Subarus I remember <laughs> have a bad time. Uh, it was the Subaru last year. Seth will remember this because he's the one who wrote me into it. Yeah, it was my fault. Subaru, <laughs> it was a Hawkeye. No, not a Hawkeye. Yeah, Hawkeye WRX wagon, but with like all the go fast bits. And I just remember the underside of the car. That's. Oh no. Yes, I'm <laughs> intimately familiar. Um yeah, and the how they have the wastegate and the blow off valve and everything like that, we became very close. Um I forget I was in somebody's armpit at one time. But basically what happened I don't actually remember. They they needed some things put back together because something separated and broke and then melted things yeah one of the things broke down there and when they like i don't know like one i one of the pieces broke and because of how subarus are it was shooting fire like through the fender liner against the tire that was it and so like as soon as you crack any of that stuff fire just shoots out everywhere and melts everything and so they got new pieces that kind of fit i mean they fit in a technical sense, but I'm not sure you would have assembled them that way. And it seems like a lot of Subarus are put together like that. They're just like, I don't know, I got a bunch of stuff and the internet said it'll work. So we're going to put it on. And so many tubes and things like <laughs> so many tubes. Uh, yes. Yeah, that was at Eagles Canyon that this happened. And so many um, 
so many V-band clamps that had to be oriented just the right way to be able to fit, let alone be able to like tighten down and things. But what got canceled that was at the drag strip event? Yeah. Yep. Drag strip because it rained, it rained at the end of the day. That's right. So basically like we had some free time and they were in need. So we, uh, yeah, there was like six of us crawling over each other trying to get this Subaru fixed. And uh, jokes on us, they made it to the hotel, but in the morning it wouldn't start because of some relay, something or other. And that was just this year. The the previous Subaru I remember was running five W thirty Mobile One. Um, their trip ended on the side of the highway. <laughs> And it just rod knocked itself out of existence. Yep. Anyway, we can talk shit about Subarus as long as we want to. I, I don't want to talk bad about them. I think they can be done correctly for track if you want to like spend the money and like get all the proper oiling mods. Like right. the most recent Donut Media's uh, coverage of modding Subarus, I think did them a little dirty. But like um, <laughs> I saw them a Subaru lover at heart. I just uh, yeah. I'm smarter smart enough not to track one. I think so. My my budget can't can't allow that. So. Yeah, yeah. Dewey, we we had Dewey on the show <laughs> earlier this year, and uh, go talk to Dewey if you want to figure out how to <laughs> make a Subaru work on track halfway reliably. Right. Um. So why why the S two? No, 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 no. I want to go back. You said your wife rode with you at the autocross? Yeah, yeah, I had her. Um, she came out and watched, and, like, the very last session I threw her in the passenger seat and because um, never, she'd never been on, like, on track before either, so it was cool to have her ride with me. Um, and, yeah, well, she wasn't my wife at the time. She was my lady friend, so. Oh, uh, okay, okay. So Did you she... impress her? Was she, like, super impressed with how awesome you were? Oh no, she doesn't care. Yeah, she's never cared about like me performing well. Really, she just like it's just something I do, and like she never questions like a new car on the driveway because she's so used to it. So that was like part of the deal of us getting married. So we've been together since we were in high school. I think I was fifteen, she was sixteen. So like she she knows the deal. (laughs) Boy, she's she's seen the whole aging process for you. Yeah, Yeah. all the the gray hairs coming in. Yeah, I I guess if. (laughs) Yeah, when you've been buying and selling as many cars as you have, it's just pretty normal. Yeah, I wish it was cool and like I bought them specifically to go racing in different classes, but it's more of just like getting a deal, driving it for a while, and then moving on to the next one, really. So. Do you still do that? Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to pick up another one in a couple of days because um, I had some recent plumbing issues and I want to build up a budget again for next year. So that's kind of how it works. Like I'll get on hard times quote unquote and then need to flip something so i have i have one lined up we'll see if it works out subaru uh this is a it's probably a horrible decision but it's a turbo diesel audi uh q7 so um yeah so that's like what <laughs> no i'm just like germans are very different <laughs> yeah there's there's certain cars that i just kind of giggle about when people are like no no this will be fine and i'm like maybe <laughs> oh yeah like that's how i got my my trailer as well like i bought a bmw x3 that uh needed a transmission allegedly and turns out fcp euro sells these like little plastic gears for the transfer case for like a hundred dollars and that's all it was so i was able to like 
use my trailer budget and go from like an old steel trailer to a nice new aluminum one. But like I sold it as soon as I got that thing ready to sell. Um, and I drove it for a few months to get to a good life event and then sold it. But that's kind of like how it works. <laughs> don't want to get stuck long term with a, a German car. I don't think either. I'm just bashing all the cars. <laughs> that's okay. Just the ones that deserve it, which is a lot of them. Yeah. Well, you at least the next car you got for the track was one of the better Japanese ones. Maybe not a cheaper one, but a better one. So why the S2000? Yeah, so like, uh, you know, at the time, uh, I kind of found out about tracking. My buddy built a Subaru for the track, and like we went out, I think it was late 2016, to Gingerman on one of the, one of the last days. And I was like, I was hooked immediately. And so um, my wife was pregnant at the time with our second child. So it probably wasn't the best idea to buy a, a track car, but I was I was like, I have to get one. Uh, so um, I kind of fell into the S2000 because I was looking at like RX-8s, which would be another horrible reliable reliability decision. I was kind of thinking 350Zs, but um, there's just my cousin in Tennessee had an S2000 um, that's been in our family since like I don't know, 2011 at the time. Uh, and so I, he was interested in, I had a lifted Jeep Cherokee. So we did a little bit of a trade deal where I, uh, I gave him the Jeep and some cash and I got the S2000. So um, it wasn't in the, in the best shape, especially for tracking, but uh, for the, for my budget and what cash I had, it was probably the best car I could have gotten. Uh, and it, it's one that really allowed me to develop with the car. And like, I think I got, I probably picked one of the best chassis to learn how to drive on because it was like notoriously one of the hardest chassis I think to learn how to drive with, with like very limited, uh, there's no trash control on it. And um, it's probably one of the tougher cars to drive, I think. And when did you say you first got on track? Yeah, so this would be, um, so I got that car in early 2017 and uh, it had some basic ground control coilovers on it and slammed. So the first thing I did was raise it up a little bit and get some RPF ones and some Hawk HP pluses with some Bridgestone RE71Rs and like booked a track day. And so I went out and did an event with CGI Motorsports at Gingerman on Monday, Mm -hmm. which is uh, shout out to CGI. It's one of the best groups to run with. They still do right seat instruction. Uh, and uh, so I did that one day. And then the very next event I signed up for was a Midwest Festival Time Attack in 2017, which is not the smartest thing to do. I don't recommend it. <laughs> yeah, we always tell people. I mean, it's it's hilarious. <laughs> RPF1s, Bridgestones, crappy coilovers, and Hawk HP+. Plus. I mean, that, that was the track day package oh yeah i'm not and i'm not bashing hawk either like it's more of like those brakes are not really capable if you actually know what you're doing for for track but i didn't so it was fine (laughs) (laughs) um yes you were yeah you were kind of getting into tracking right about the same time i was then because my first time was 20 like at the end of 2016 i think that's right no, into 2017. Yeah, so we were, I was at 2017 drinking um, and watching cars go by. So I'm sure I saw you at some point. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was on track and uh, I remember like at the driver's meeting, I think it was Abe was like, if you don't feel you're ready for time trials or time attack, feel free to like step back at any time. I got the ticket secondhand. I didn't know any better. Like 
my buddies had all been going to grid life for years since it pretty much started. And so I was like, I want to drive at a grid life event because I think I'd even seen the gears and gasoline video or something. And I was like, I'm definitely want to drive. Uh, and I didn't know any better between like HPD, HPD and time attack. And so basically I signed up in the HPD plus group. And I remember like, they're like, well, just place yourselves where you think your time will be. So I went out in the front of group B uh, and the second car, the first car in front of me went off and turned 10 on the warm-up lab. So I was like the very front of group B. And I remember it just distinctly going down the front straight on the first hot lap with my right foot slammed to the floor and shaking because I was so nervous. Uh, and I, I think I ran my fastest lap that very first lap and uh, ended up, I don't know, mid-pack in HPDE+. Plus. I think it was around a 152, which is very funny now because, like, I went faster than that in my fit this year, both events. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, so, like, that was just funny. So then I, like, learned my lesson and didn't come back until I was ready. <laughs> so what's, what was your CGI experience like that led you to think that I want to go do this other thing? Uh, I, don't, I don't think I even thought like that CGI would lead to good life. It was more of like okay. CGI was just my first way to get into tracking. And I was like the typical novice. I was like, I don't need an instructor. Like it's just a waste of my time. I'm going to be fast out of the bat. And I can say 100% that's not true. Like I would have went off and turned three on the outlap had I not had an instructor there. And he like forced me to stay in fourth gear. Some things that, like I learned that day, I still use with my students. I'm like, okay, stay in fourth gear because basically forced me to stay in fourth till after lunch and just focus on getting the lines and learning. And then by the time lunch ended and I was able to shift gears, I was like one of the faster novices. So, nice. so yeah, it was a good experience. Do you remember who your instructor was? Uh, he still instructs with CGI now. I forgot his name. Okay. Uh, he went from, it was a Trans Am with a solid rear axle and Hoosiers, I think, at the time. <laughs> so I remember going out in that thing, going around seven and eight, nine, and the whole rear end kind of like hopping a little bit. It was so cool. Um, awesome. But now he has a C6, Z06 or something like that. That's faster. Yeah. So Nice. So when you, so there was a decision when you got that ticket for, the worst name time attack group name, which was HPDE yeah. plus, <laughs> which is now known as street um, where you get this ticket, you find out what it is and you decide that you're going to go out at the beginning of two. It seems like a bold choice to me. Like that seems like I'm just, I'm just going to go do this and I'm sure it'll be fine. Oh, it was a bad decision for sure. My backup plan was actually had a buddy co-driving with me. Okay. So like worst case was I don't feel comfortable. I'm getting in people's way and I'll just let him drive the car. Um, we ended up just splitting the time. Um, and even that was like, should have been a red flag right away. Cause I was like, uh, can I ride with him so I can get some, ex like learn from him. <laughs> and, was, and that should have been a red flag right away. And it's just funny because at the time everyone's like, go talk to Jabay. And like, no one knows, tells you who Adam or Jabay actually is. Right. So like, I'm coming in new, like asking to ride along in a time attack session, like all things you should never do. Um, so yeah, I can't believe they, they let that fly. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of the wild west back then. Just yep. Jabay said it was okay. Who's Jabay? I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Some dude in hoodie and a work, work boot. I'm thankful he did, but yeah, like now I'm glad we're potentially getting some licensing. So, 
Yeah, we'll see. They've been talking about that for a few years. So hopefully, but yeah, let's, we'll see. So that weekend of competition, what did that teach you? I mean, it was your second track weekend. Didn't have an instructor. Granted, you had at least been there before, so that was something. What uh, what did you walk away from that weekend with? I don't think I learned the right. Le- I think I learned that I'm not ready, but also like, like it was just a good time. Um, but there's a reason I didn't come back to competition until like 2021. It's like I wasn't ready, but I think I learned that this is something I definitely want to do more of. Um, at the same time, I literally my daughter was just born, so it was kind of like a last hurrah. Like I just want to be able to say like I've done it and. And got to and got to experience it, and because I didn't know if I'd ever get to do it again, honestly. Uh, interesting. Okay, because of the daughter. Yeah. So, like, I at that time I had two kids, right? And uh, you know how that goes. Um, so, I, it, basically, after that, I did maybe just a couple of track days a year um, from then until like 2020. So, for what it's worth, uh, right after my second was born. I went to an autocross, like my second was probably seven, eight weeks old. And I went to an autocross and I came home and my wife was just like melted. She was just like two little kids at home. And my, my first two kids are like 18 months apart. So she's got, you know, two kids under two. And I just left her home for whatever it takes, 10 hours to go do an autocross. And I come home and I was like, I, I just looked at her and I was like, I can't do this anymore until they get bigger. And she was like, I wasn't going to ask you, but thank you. That's almost exactly what happened. So like all my kids are like 23 months apart. Uh, and so now they're getting old enough. So like that's why I pretty much had to wait uh, because and she's the same for like letting me even do good life now. But like, yeah, after that, I was like, yeah, I can't just leave. I'm going to be around for the kids. And I was still focusing on. Uh, a lot of career stuff at the time as well. Not that I'm not now, but uh, at that point, I'm almost ready to make a different move in my career. I'm um, just to a, a different field kind of. So, um, so I kind of took a little bit of a break from like, I did a few events a year just at Gingerman, but um, yeah. Yeah. So you're not, you're not a professional car flipper. What, what would you say you do here? Uh, so I work for a university that likes to put, gold on the roofs if you know what that means uh and so at that time i think i was just getting started like um, i was i've I've been in information security since i started at uh, the university and then uh, at that point in time i was transitioning to um, do more cloud work Uh, and at the same time i was also starting to kind of teach a course at the university um, and privacy and security. So it was like this combination of things. Like I want to get into teaching because that's a really cool thing to do. And like, like it's really great to feel like you're like adding to the mission of the university and like providing like teaching to students. Uh, so it was like a combination of that switching careers potentially to doing more cloud work. Um, and so now I'm, I lead a team of cloud engineers. And so we manage all of the different uh, infrastructure for the university. So um, every system from, I don't know, the dispatch system we help with a little bit to uh, the student systems of like registering for classes to like people getting paid. So um, we went through a big process to migrate a lot of our resources from like on-premise data centers into the cloud. And so I was a big part of that migration. 
You sound smart. <laughs> I'm not, I promise. <laughs> what so you said you I guess it's it's a little more rare to hear somebody say outside of tracking that they really enjoy teaching at that age. What is it about teaching that you enjoy? Well, it's just like sharing information. Like I have a really bad case of imposter syndrome a lot of times. So like with teaching, it kind of helps you learn yourself and like reinforce that, you know, things. Uh, Cause I think I was in my twenties, the first course I taught and this university, like I could have never gotten in there, like when I graduated from high school. So it's kind of like a double case of like, oh my gosh, do I really belong here? Cause like I'm teaching these kids that are definitely smarter than me, at uh, this great university. And, uh, but I really wanted to be able to provide value to their education. So like going through, uh, and when I was doing information security at the university, I learned a lot of lessons. So it's really cool to be able to apply hands-on learning to these students because a lot of cases what they're learning is very theoretical. But uh, the course that I taught, I was able to like provide them real world like use cases. So like, let's break onto this website. Let's like have this fake um, this fake uh, hotel site and let's figure out if we can break into it and see all the people that are currently have hotel rooms. So that's one of the um, the, the use cases and scenarios I had them do. Um, so like, it's really cool to be able to see their eyes light up and tell you like, oh, this is one of the most useful courses that I've taken uh, at, at the university. So that, that was like, something I'm really proud of. I taught the course for like five years, but being able to like share information and because I feel like if I know something, like anyone could should be able to know it. And so that's kind of how I feel about driving as well. Like if I can do it, anyone can do it as good as I can for sure. So, so teaching for you also helps the imposter syndrome and the feeling kind of propping up the ego in a good way. I, I don't think I do it for my ego. I may mostly do it because like, I feel like if I can do it, then someone else can do it. And it's, if I can help someone in any way, like progress and I should like, I don't know why I feel that obligation, but sure. I may also give like unsolicited advice to the track uh, and at work. So like, that's something I need always worked on, but <laughs> So has it, has it, the mission for teaching changed as you've been doing it? Because you said that you felt like an imposter, especially at the beginning. Is that still the case? Has it gotten better? Oh, uh, by the end of it, I felt, you know, like I was doing much better. But like when I was young, younger and teaching a course there, it was like, uh, it was it was harder. And then the same like when I got into instructing on track, it's like the first couple of times it's like, well, do I even know more than these new students? It felt like. Uh, and then over time, you realize, yeah, you're actually helping them and, um, and and it's making a difference and growing the community, which is also huge, at least for the track community, because like if we don't grow it, it will end up eventually running out. So. Who did you start? How did how did you go from doing having little kids at home doing a couple track events a year to somebody going, "Hey, you should instruct with us." <laughs> like, how do you make that transition? Yeah, I guess so. Like, like through twenty seventeen through twenty twenty, I kind of slowly progressed with the S two thousand. Like, I got some nice fortune out of coilovers for it in twenty eighteen. And then slowly like did uh, suspension modifications to make it less tail happy. And I kind of grew with the car and like 
watch my time slowly fall out. I was obsessed with like just improving my time at Gingerman uh, for some whatever reason. Like it makes no sense to my head now. But um, so at the end of the 2019 season, I was doing a CGI event and uh, between six and seven blew the motor. Uh, and so the F20 uh, blew up. Um, and it, I think it came down to titanium uh, valves that or retainers that wore through. And I never checked the valve lash. I didn't know what I was doing either. Um, and so I took, at that point, I made the decision to do a K24 in the car. Uh, and so I was pulling the motor out and the post on track Midwest, I think it was like, where should I go to help me with this, this, uh, this, this case swap? And I think someone responded like ASM is the, the place to go. And this is before like ASM really blew up Andy Smedegard Motorsports. Um, so I, I went there, I had the, the case swap done, but what was really interesting to me is like I had this moment when I picked it up, we rented, it was during COVID. So uh, I think Andy rented the track when I picked up the car, the local like circle track. And uh, I thought I knew what I was doing and driving and I rode with him. And I realized at that moment, like, I don't know anything and I'm garbage. And like, I really need to just get more seat time. And so I kind of made it a commitment at that point in time to like, just drive more and do better. Uh, and so that's like really when I decided to do more. Right around that same time, uh, I had a career opportunity uh, to to go to uh, Amazon Web Services to work with them. And I kind of made a deal with myself that like if I'm not, I turned that offer down, which is a decent amount of money to be able to focus on driving more. And so th then I was kind of committed to to driving more and uh, and improving myself because I realized how bad I actually was. Um, so and then 2020, I just did as many events as I could. And that led into 2021. But they were all still at Gingerman in 2020 for some reason. <laughs> so. so you turned down the job opportunity to be able to drive more. Yeah, well, I'm not going to say it's, that's the only reason. Like uh, family came came in to be a big part of that. Because uh, right now, uh, the, one of the big benefits of working in higher education is like work-life balance. So I have, I'm afforded the opportunity to, I don't know if my kids are sick, I can stay home with them or pick them up. Uh, but also a pretty flexible schedule and a lot of vacation time. Right. So if, if you go to work for a very large company, you're just a number pretty much. A number that makes a lot of money, but it's just a number still. So. Yeah, yeah, that's all. That's all true. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, the, yeah, that kind of got us and gets me into like when Club TR came out and uh, when I really went crazy. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and you, you did that for one year? I did one event in 2022, but yeah. So like when those rules came out, I had already bought an HPD ticket for 2021. And uh, then I talked to Adam into letting me just do time attack instead. Uh, and like, NCM was the first time I had really not done Gingerman that year. And it was like a wake up call. So like I went to NCM and I was really slow even compared to a lot of folks. Um, I was super sick that weekend for whatever reason, not that that's my excuse, but I was really slow and then I came back to Gingerman put and put Arrow on the car and dropped like four seconds off my personal best just from the combination of like having a wing and like doing NCM, like learning a lot. Um, it was like, wow, something just clicked in my head in 2021 for that. Um, I was still really slow, but it got a little bit better, uh, I would say. Yeah, NCM think, 2021 wasn't a great time for me. Do you think driving a bunch of different tracks, because if you've if you bought a ticket and committed to driving more tracks than Gingerman, do you think the the addition of more tracks in your in your quiver of learning things was 
super helpful, a little bit helpful? Like, how would you rate that experience of like putting a bunch of new tracks? Oh, it was, it was like the best thing I had done to like, besides doing data analysis, like doing more tracks has helped the most, uh, especially with NCM. It's such a technical course. Like there's no really good high speed sweepers, like five and 16 at NCM at Gingerman. So like I quickly realized like, oh, I'm, I'm not comfortable at this speed. Like, I don't, and looking back now, like I think I ran like a 228 at NCM, which is really slow. Like I was not too far off that and I fit, but um, just learning that, you know, okay, there's different types of tracks, different types of corners and like being able to apply things I learned at NCM at Gingerman actually helped because I think the turn right before deception, turn 10, I think it is like, re- like really helped me realize I could carry more speed in five, six at Gingerman because it's a double apex, like a V corner. And like just being able to apply things I learned at, at my home track made a difference too. So as you got more experience at different tracks, maybe improved kind of helped yourself helped you show yourself that you are improving how did your instructing change at that same time oh at that point i still had not instructed so like i wouldn't think i was even ready to instruct yet like i instructed like i learned a lot that first season in 2021 of club tr Mm -hmm. like things like oh like brakes don't last long when you're really pushing the car and uh like case case swaps like to, to to rattle things apart uh, and, oh, I'm not as good a driver as I thought I was, uh, in some cases, um, in other cases, like by the middle of the season, I think I actually improved a lot of competition, like really pushing to improve, but like all those little things made me more comfortable. And like, it was the end of 2021 that I started instructing, uh, with rev match racing. So. Gotcha. And so we kind of talked about what instructing did for you personally did you find instructing helped your driving yeah i think so i think being able to explain to students like what to do or how to uh, to look at their their performance or uh helps me like analyze my own driving so i would say 100 percent. yeah did you have any sort of instructing mentory person or did they just be like hey go instruct and you had to make it up on your own uh, yeah, I think it was more of like, just go instruct. <laughs> uh, but luckily I'd had some background, like in teaching for five years before, like I, I started instructing. So, um, but yeah, at the same time, like, uh, my car was so unreliable that weekend that uh, I was asked to not instruct with Red Match to start the next season, even though that's right around the time I bought a fit and those things kind of aligned pretty well. Uh, like, I think I remember the first session, I had three of my students, uh, my starter had died. They had to push start me to do the lead follow laps. Uh, so, like, my whole crew, like, we'll never forget it. We, we're still all talk on Facebook uh, Messenger, but it's just funny. Like, I had all three of my students, like, push starting me into grid. And so I could do their lead follows. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So, it's kind of two-part question, about, but I'll go one part at a time. You said that one of your reactions to encountering something new is I'm garbage at this terrible. I suck. Why, uh, why, why do you like to beat yourself up, man? Oh, I don't know. I just, uh, I don't know. People tell me that I, I don't take like, 
I don't do well with people giving me compliments a lot of times, but uh, I don't know why it's just how I am. Cause I always feel like in my mind I could have done better and I know all the things I want to do differently or try better. Uh, so it's like, you know, I, thanks for the compliment, but like, I'm still going to be working hard to improve, I guess. So. And like in all areas of your life, like you're just thinking about what's next, what can be done better. Yeah. Like I like to overanalyze anything I do. Uh, for some reason, like uh, even small interactions with folks at work, like how could I have done better uh, to coach one of my employees or how could I have done better with interaction with someone that I need to, to give some feedback to. Um, so like, on the track as well, like this season, like I've tried to do a lot of retrospective looking, even the, the events I did well at, like how could I, what can I pick up from that and do better at next time? Whether it be something small, like tire pressure to uh, things like managing traffic. So. you take it. notes on this or do you just carry it all around in your head uh i carry a lot of stuff in my head so it's probably not healthy <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna do therapy here like you should take these worries and write them down and set them free <laughs> burn them <laughs> yeah yeah do that <laughs> get that um magician's flash paper so it just like disappears oh my god we should do that at the track that would be the best <laughs> Did, on a track walk <laughs> i did that for a uh a, a church thing once it was uh you know write down some stuff that you need to let go of and then light it on fire it's gone poof it's one of the cooler things we did um but the and that's interesting because i hear all the kind of self-critical talk i mean even yeah i i kind of hear you know you getting down looking at what you could have done better maybe what you were deficient at and like part of me gets really tired for you but it sounds like you take all of that in that gets turned into motivation for you like it turns into fuel and into just going and doing it Oh yeah. It's an opportunity to do better next time. Right. So if you're not, if you make a mistake and you don't recognize it, then you're not improving. So to me, it's like, you have to always be thinking about like, what could I have done differently? Uh, especially if the outcome wasn't what you wanted. Right. So if you didn't, if I didn't do well in an event, like why, what is the, what, what was the reason behind that? Um, and it, I can't blame competition. I can't blame traffic. Like it has to be something like I could have done better. Um, so, and that's energy and motivation to do better next time. So I hear like a youthful optimism in that. Is that just me, Seth? Like I, I, I hear this strand of, all right, I'm crap at this, but here's what I can change because the underlying assumption is I can do better. I can improve. This isn't all that I am. There is something more like that's, for for someone like who like on the surface seems rather critical, like seems like you actually think highly of yourself that you are like you're not perfect, but that you can do better. Thinks highly of his potential. There you go. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Especially like for competitors, like you have to believe that you're capable, right? Or else, why are you doing it? <laughs> but like I know. Even if I wasn't competitive, I'd be there like trying to help others or at least, you know, being a part of the events as far as good life goes, but, or it's instructing and just driving for fun because that's what I enjoy doing. So 
So what does the community bring to you that you're missing in your normal life otherwise? Uh, for me, I think... Uh, Subarus. Yeah, we're getting into therapy for sure now. Uh, for me, it's around, like, in the moment, being able to know that, like, I, nothing else isn't important at the moment other than this driving, <laughs> trying not to eat off the track or crash. So there's something about being in the moment. Like I think a lot of us that attend these events may or may not have ADD. Uh, and so being able to just focus solely on driving and I have other worries, like it's, it's awesome. So every grid life event is like a family reunion. It's like, uh, this whole idea that, you know, we're part of a community and it's like a vacation away. So like, I do have three small kids, but and I don't like leaving them, but, uh, being able to drive on track and, uh, kind of have everything fade away other than like trying to go your fastest. Like it, it helps me, like it's my version of therapy, I would say. So you do set that notebook of worries aside briefly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm certain as we're kind of pulling on these threads, it's, it's interesting that it really seems like competition is healthy for you. That it's not just like, let me see how I stack up for you. It's a good measuring stick and almost a shortcut for how you can do better. Yeah, I think that's why like, I kind of like gravitated towards Sunday Cup from Club TR, honestly, because like in Club TR, it's very much a builder's class. So mm-hmm. I'm seeing cars like uh, Grant Davidson's and uh, Dana's is very well put together and all these like highly prepped cars. And, um, and I'm seeing like the ceiling for me being able to like measure up against some, not that they're not great drivers as well, it's just my car at the time like I didn't even know what it meant to to build and engineer a car. Uh, I, I knew like I had like, I still had air conditioning in the car at the time. So like that wasn't a good measuring stick, like you kind of said. So as soon as I was able to get into a Sunday cup car and do fairly well, it was like, oh, okay, like I don't just suck at driving. Like my car really wasn't fully prepped for the class. Like I knew it. Um, I had Tomo drive my car at a couple of events and um, I was fairly close to his time. I think I was within two tenths of him in my car at mid Ohio. Not saying that, I'm that good. I think Tomo was like taking it easy on my car and he had a 200 pound passenger with him, but I was within two tenths. So it told me like there, it's not like I'm leaving a whole bunch on the table, maybe a second, but that was still nowhere near like the top times of the class. So um, that's kind of what, when I got into Sunday cup and started doing well, even though it was supposed to be my backup instructor car that turned into my, my main fun, like competition car. So I got a taste of what it was like to like do fairly well in my first season. So there's a joke here about Subaru guys not being good at putting cars together, but <laughs> <laughs> so what? When was it that you realized that you really wanted to make the switch from Club TR? What like did you learn? Like were you just looking at all these other builds and what you had and just kind of doing the math? Uh. Into 2022 was when I first started Sunday Cup. Like I was getting, I was buying this fit to just like have a backup car in case my 2000 broke. And then the first event I did was all the way in Georgia in AMP. And uh, I was on the way down. I stopped at a shop called Winnie Formula, who does great work to prep the car a little bit. I did like a street slash track alignment on it, but I went to AMP and like did really well in the car and. Uh, and then like that kind of gave me like, oh, I, I can do well. 
And then I was like, okay, well, I'll try this at NCM again because my S2000, I think, wasn't quite ready for whatever reason. So I did NCM and got a podium. I think it was second place. And uh, I was like, wow, like, this is awesome. Like, let me keep, like, modifying the car to see how close I can get to Matt Williams. So, like, Matt Williams at the time was, like, the Sunday Cup. Like, we call him dad because he's, he's amazing, like, good dude. He taught me everything I need to know about prepping a fit and um, like, so he was like my measuring stick. Like if I could even come close to his times, I'm doing pretty good. So then I continued to develop the car a little bit in my own self. And that at that point, um, I was like all in, I think on, on Sunday cup, I think I did one event at Autobahn that year in that 2000, but mostly it was like, this is too much fun in the fit. <laughs> and then you just sold the S 2000. Like what, what was the decision point for that? Because it, it 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 sounds like it might selling cars might be easier for you than it is for me. That one was a little bit harder because like I had put a lot of like I had put a lot of development in it too, and I had done some work over the twenty twenty one into twenty twenty two season for the S two thousand. But um, after doing well in the fit, um, I knew I had this opportunity to work with potential opportunity at the end of the twenty twenty two season to work with Acuity. Uh, based on some relationships I had built at the track with folks and after doing really well. And I knew I wanted to put my focus on in the 2023 season, doing well in the fit. And uh, it, I had bought an RV for some reason in 2022 and decided like financially it made more sense to sell the S2000, pay off the RV. Uh, I don't like having any kind of debt for toys and fun. So I ended up just, uh, you know, selling the S2000. It made more financial sense to me. And then focusing on doing and performing well in the fit. So that was kind of like the decision point for me. And what's your experience in Sunday Cup been like? Yeah, so like that's what, like I didn't talk about like the community as much. I talked about Matt Williams, but like the Sunday Cup group like immediately welcomed me. Like I was just an outsider that came to one event and did fairly well. And uh, then immediately like they all embraced me and, uh, then I met some new friends at NCM and like we brought them into the fold and like the, the group is just amazing. And then what I quickly realized, like I didn't talk too much about it, but sustainability wise, like, like I probably have uh, one of the most sustainable programs. Like I'm super fortunate and lucky that, like, to be able to do as many events as I can do. And I have to worry about killing the bank either. So Sunday cup is like, in my mind, the best form of time and tech with the best competition for sustainability and, and being able to continue to do the sport. Because if I look around a lot of the people that I started with in 2021, like some a lot of them aren't around anymore or um, kind of had to, to slow down because of how expensive it is. So. Sounds like Sunday Cup is, may, and I've, I've theorized about this before, Sunday Cup might be the one class that doesn't take everything from you. <laughs> because we've we've talked about that with time attack before like time attack will take everything and ask you for a little bit more no matter how much you have and uh i think scott can argue that gltc will pretty much try to do the same thing to you and i've theorized in the past that sunday cup may kind of have like a ceiling like it just doesn't want it doesn't want as much as other types of driving want from you I, I agree, but I also think that we're kind of getting into a point with competition level in Sunday Cup where, like, you're going to see folks out there with new sets of tires every event. You're going to see people prepping the cars and and pushing the the limit. And like the like, I think we saw it last year with the a certain Civic on MCS coilovers that 
like we call it, we jokingly call it the million dollar civic, but like, I think you can still spend a lot of money in Sunday cup, but uh, once you get to that build level, yeah, like you, there's going to be a peak investment and then you're going to maintain it, I think, because like the rules barely changed at all this year. Right. So which is kind of nice. Yeah. I think the only rule change was slightly wider tires for really, I say really heavy cars, but for heavy cars, they're allowed two fifteens instead of two oh fives. Is that like the Bob rule? It's I'm calling it the Bob rule. It's the Bob rule for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't see the like not to go too technical, but I don't see a huge benefit in running a two fifteen on an eight inch wide uh, wheel either. So I may I think it's gonna get pinched a little bit. But. Yeah, I for the weight I I think it would have benefits, especially in the later laps, but if it makes Bob happy, well, uh, gotcha. I'm I'm down for it. <laughs> yeah, it it seems like the Sunday Cup class. I mean, one we're starting with fairly uncomplicated cars to begin with. Two, you know, the grip level is limited by tire width. Um, your brakes are limited, also by tire width. Really, I mean, <laughs> the the grip level is just. It's decent, but it's not super high. Um, coilovers are limited to adjustments. There's no turbos in the class. And that's about it. Like there's, you know, you could bolt on an exhaust, but like you can only make so much power to weight. I mean, it's it's really fairly straightforward and then you just have to, go drive like i feel like there's less excuse um in sunday cup once you kind of have your car like you get coilovers you get the tires and you get your power to weight and like that's it people try to find excuses still sure but like oh, don't yeah don't don't push. I'll find excuses. Yeah. So. <laughs> but but like there's no differentials allowed. So it's like you can't even complain, well, my diff's tuned weird and stuff like this. It's just didn't have it today. Yep. I, th- I think I'm getting to the limit on, uh, I was getting to the limit this year on mine on how old the car is for the bushings. So I was, and how, pushing the car at the grip level for even like uh, rock auto bushing. So I went through. Uh, like one set of rear beam bushings and like four control arms, five control arms this year. The, the bouncing uh, not that that's is an real. excuse, but the bouncing so, is real. Uh, what's that? The bouncing is real. Oh yeah, in the back. So, so I think that's one of the things I'm looking to develop to helping develop for at least my chassis this year. Some kind of testing out different kind of either poly bushings or figuring out eventually some sphericals or at least some Durlin bushings. But we'll see. Like, but that's. Like to Seth's point, like, oh my gosh, that's that's crazy. <laughs> like, it's just a couple little things you can do at this point. Yep. Um, but I think people overlook oftentimes like the level of effort that goes into prepping between events. Because I was doing an alignment before every single event this year, um, corner balancing like two or three times this year. Um, so, and when I didn't do those, like you, you can definitely tell the difference, um, which is crazy. But yeah, maybe I'm just like out there <laughs> well in the grid life world that's starting to be like that's just prep it's so i want to say it's so serious but there basically every class that runs at grid life 
is a pretty high level of of knowledge and prep for what it is. And I think that's just how the community has developed over the last four or five years. Like there's very smart, very capable people wherever you look. And if you want to play with very smart, very capable people, you kind of need to be smart and capable at the same time. Um, it just, just seems to be the culture right now, which I don't disapprove of, but I, I can see where it would be a little more intimidating than it was four or five years ago. I, I think some of that, for at least for me, what drove me to, to motivate me to do more between events is like I have all these great uh, companies I'm helping to represent and that believe in me to do well and I feel like obligated like it's not a job but like I want to make sure I'm I'm performing at my best and the car is prepped to the best of my ability to like do well and because uh, I want to represent and I don't know maybe that's my own level of like feeling like taking ownership of it but like like that may be driving some of the paddock as well as more people start getting support and maybe they feel like they need to push it harder as well is that a positive motivation for you or is that like a running away from something? Oh, it's positive for me. I think if someone believes in me, like to that extent that you're getting support on what is essentially a hobby, I know it's a business for them and I want to make sure that I'm representing. And so it's like motivation, like, oh, they believe in me. So I'm going to do my best to, to perform. So. I don't think we even talked about why, why a second gen fits. I know you, I know you bought it to kind of just drive, but why, why that car? <laughs> uh, so, uh, I was talking to Matt Williams and, you know, he was running a first gen at the time and he mentioned that like the second gen was nicer to live with as a daily. And this was truly meant to be my daily, mm-hmm. uh, at the time. And also like talking about flipping cars, I found a good deal. So, nice. um, at the time I had bought a Subaru Outback turbo Outback for, I think 700 bucks. And, uh, um, I think I did a turbo on it and needed a turbo. And, uh, so I had 1200 into it and I sold it for $4,500 on a Saturday. And that Sunday, this fit came up on marketplace for $4,500. So I was like, Oh, perfect. That's what I'm getting. Uh, so that's pretty much why I got this fit. <laughs> Talk to me about the cup holders in the dash. Oh, wait, we were just talking about that over PRI. I had like five dudes in my car over the weekend, my, my other fit now. And like, there's so many cup holders, all waters, uh, it was, it was great. It's like yes. plenty, plenty of room for people's beverages. The fact that you have to point out that they're all waters makes me deeply suspicious. Gatorades and waters. No. <laughs> we took Ubers on on the way to get drinks. So, <laughs> so what's yeah, yeah? This year, I know at Lime Rock, you you were having some bushing problems, and this year was you still performed well. I know not as well as you'd like to. So how are you looking at next year? What are you thinking about changing? All that. Yeah, so like I learned some things. Uh, Mid-Ohio, I had uh, bushing issues um, and alignment issues. So I was able to borrow a uh, um, just a, a tow kit, just check tow. And the overall tow is fine at at mid-Ohio, but then I got to the alignment rack and realized, like, both the fronts are pointed to the right. Uh, so, the, yeah, overall toe is fine, but toe is off. So that that explains why, like, but that, my bushings and that kind of explains why the car was, like, crazy oversteering in turn one. Uh, so um, still not an excuse. I should have did better at prepping the car for the 
um, for the rear bushing, which I think caused me to go off and mess up the alignment. But uh, Lime Rock, I kind of learned that like my traffic management and in terms, of, you could use some work, especially um, like I do my fastest laps on the second, third laps every time. Like I, I overheat my tires probably too soon. So that's probably my Achilles heel. So um, we had issues with traffic from higher classes blocking us a little bit. Uh, not an excuse. It's just kind of what happened. And um, so what I realized is like, yeah, if I don't get my banger in the first couple laps, my later laps are very consistent, but not what the peak, uh, like the peak time could have been. Um, so I kind of threw away a really good lap at Lime Rock and then very similarly it happened at Kansas again. So I think looking into next year is like, how can I be better at traffic management? Uh, is a big one. And then uh, doing a little bit of development on the bushings, hopefully at least having some poly bushings in the car. Uh, and then working on my driving as well, like um, always kind of working on that. So I, I, we mentioned I instruct with a couple of different groups. So I try to get as much track time as possible. I'm usually on track at least two or three times a month. So, so the instructor question, the coach question then is what do you feel like you're good at in driving? What are your one or two things that you really feel like you're good at? Uh, I enjoy rain driving, uh, which is one thing I've done pretty well at, I think, um, or at least I've developed at. So one of my big goals leaving 2021 was uh, after watching, I think it was DJ and Tom at Mid-Ohio, like put on a clinic and I went out in my S2000 and like struggled to even move. I was like, I need to do better at that. So I kind of made it a point in 2022 to like take every chance I could to, to rain drive. And I kind of had this epiphany moment at Autobahn where I was going out and it was just starting to drizzle and I got to actually watch the track transform. So I got to see the dry line uh, get glossy and I got to see it Autobahn, like where you should go. And that kind of like just clicked for me. I'm very much like a, a learner by doing. Um, so like teaching people how to drive in the rain is really fun. So I had two, uh, two events this year where I got to just teach people how to drive in the wet. And uh, I took out like probably 15 people out in my car and uh, it was great to be able to show them how to drive in the wet. So um, that's that's one thing I do fairly well. I think I'm I'm obviously still learning and doing better. Um, and then I've been told my braking is pretty good. So uh, try to help people with braking. I think for novice students, realizing there's a difference between stopping on the street versus the track uh, is like one of the biggest things that like that they have to realize in the first like few sessions. So okay, you real quick before go. I go to the second part of that. You said traffic management you want to improve on. How do you do that in time attack? Because I know how I do that in wheel to wheel, but the rules are kind of different and like what you're trying to achieve is very different. I think it's around spacing and uh, giving yourself space, but also knowing that you probably have time to ask to come in and ask for space if you plan it appropriately. Like we had these couple scenarios at Lime Rock where we only had like a six minute session. Uh, but most of the time, like we get 15, 20 minutes, like feel free to do an outlet, get the tires at least somewhat warm, pit in and then ask for space. And usually like it'll be there. Um, so I think that's kind of my strategy next year is like, if I'm not at the front and I'm, and I think I'm going to get blocked by a car in a different class. I'll just pull in the pits and get some space. It's like the best thing I can think of at the moment. But I'm open to ideas. <laughs> I'd have to watch some video. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, come coming in for space is one of the most underused tricks up your sleeve. Um, 
in HPD or time attack, really. And one other strategy that I started to do at least a couple of times this year was like, we're all out there playing, like we're all friends. Uh, we're all just trying to get the best time. It's not wheel to wheel. So like go in and have a conversation with the person in front of you who may be over slowing corners in a faster car, like and saying like, Hey, do you mind if like, if I'm on you after one lap, do you mind just letting me by here? And I promise I'll point you by next time that worked by at least a couple of times at, um, at Heartland uh, happened and then at Autobahn. So it's like, just how do you like, it doesn't hurt to talk to people. Like we're all people. So, and we're all trying to accomplish the same goal of our own fastest time. So um, that's, that's another strategy to look at. Yes, for sure. Um, and it's something we're pretty familiar through the one lap is getting to know the people in your run group. Uh, particularly the people right in front and right behind you. And for time attack, like everybody kind of has different plans. Uh, some people, you know, do a really slow outlap and then do one hot lap and then a cool down, then another one. Some people go like nine tenths on their outlap and then, um, you know, basically just run the entire session. And so like, even, even if you're not asking for something, just like, Hey, what's your plan? Like, what are you, how do you do outlets? How many hot laps in a row do you typically do? Do you come in after that? Do you stay? I mean, just knowing that will kind of help to inform what you're seeing on track could not hurt at all. Right, exactly. And so I, I feel kind of silly now for the the one car I had some slight issues with at Lime Rock, not just going and talking to the person. Like, that was kind of a chaotic event, but, like, that's an example. Like, I should have went and talked to the person. Sure. Um, yeah. Um. All right, next uh, part two here, since we know what you feel like you're good at, what do you feel are the one or two things that you'd like to work on in your driving? Yeah, uh... Let me think about this. Besides traffic management. Yeah, traffic management is a big one. Um, I think w- looking at how I manage the tires is going to be important next year for me, or at least I'm going to start thinking about that more. Uh, so like, I can realize that if I'm over, if I'm overheating the tires and I do only get one or two laps, like that kind of limits my uh, ability to kind of take advantage of like open track later in the sessions. And also, like, if I ever do go wheel-to-wheel, like, that'll impact the race, right? Because you want to be easier on tires so that way you can get through the end of the race without um, just being overtaken. So um, that's a big one. And then I've recently just been playing around with, like, uh, trail braking a little bit um, and trying to get comfortable with that. Uh, so uh, I've been doing that every time I get a chance to, like, say, turn two gingerman. Uh, just playing around with like how can I looking at data can I be faster with left foot braking uh, trail braking into turn two then uh, and just getting comfortable with that at Gingerman so that I can apply it to different tracks say like a turn six at Mid Ohio um, and 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 being comfortable with that at a new place as well um, so those are kind of two things I've been playing around with uh, trying to improve upon myself so nice. And uh, still still going to be instructing next season, everything like that? Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I instruct with CGI uh, Motorsports on Mondays, uh, one Monday a month. And then I think RevMatch is doing some pretty cool things this year. Like, shout out, I think they're going to Road America pretty cheaply in, in April. So I'm hoping to go do that one on a Monday. Yeah, sign, <laughs> sign up soon and save some money sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah, so I, I instructed that group, and then uh, I really enjoyed instructing with Grid Life. It was really cool to see people that want to get into Grid Life and be able to help them kind of start that journey. So, like, I got to do that Autobahn this year. So maybe I'll try to do some instructing this year there as well. See, all this makes me think maybe I need to get a trainer car too, because because yes. taking the taking the Miata out to the track is kind of an ordeal at this point. Yeah, like my backup fit or trainer fit or uh, whatever you want to call it, like that thing has like been great. And so um, I recently got coilovers to match my my white car for that one, so I can do more testing this year and and really like change my setups. I realized that kansas that my setup wasn't ideal the whole year so i'm looking at ways i can like test more frequently even on days i'm instructing uh, so i have the and so i have this this idea that this year i'm going to take the black car and like develop with it and make changes that i can then apply to the the white the white fit the shooty fit uh, and then that thing has been to like i got drove it to blackhawk and back to like multiple multiple track days this year and it's been great i keep waiting for it to break <laughs> Well, don't, don't curse yourself like that. <laughs> um, well, Jim, James, I did it again. See, I see it all the time. It's so in the Sunday cup chat, your angry face, Jim, we, <laughs> we determined that you have a, you have a healthy, I, th- I think it's healthy rivalry with Kyle. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, who named you angry face, Jim. Um, but what's, who do you need to thank and say hi to uh, and links where people can find out and more about you and follow you? Yeah. So I uh, definitely think acuity uh, instruments and the whole acuity fam, like uh, they definitely help make it more sustainable for me. And like, they've been great to work with and uh, make some of the best shifter parts out there. Um, Fortunato has been great, like helping me get the coilovers for the white one and the black one now. Uh, so Abbott auto performance also, a uh, huge great group of uh, guys that you know really so even though we're competitors on track like never once have they not tried to help me do well um yaw speed uh lots of groups people that think the um, yaw speeds help with data review and things like that at the track as well so um yeah lots of people to think and smith olean uh on instagram is pretty much the the best place to go to to, to see me so excellent well, we are at Track Walking Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Track Walking Chats is the group. Um, hopefully, if you are one of the few that ordered shirts, uh, send us a picture of those. Be uh, We'd love to see them on your dog or your kid or maybe on your body or something like that. But send them in. Uh, we'd like to see them. Best thing you can do for the podcast is to rate us and review us. And if you already did that, thank you. Share us with a friend uh, or a coworker or somebody who might give a crap because uh, that's always great. So uh, I think that's it for this week. Thank you, James. Really appreciate it. For the three of us here, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And I'm Smith <laughs> That's it for track walking. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>